Hello all, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Um, we are finally airing the James Eternal conversation between James Eternal, myself, and Jonathan Hinesley regarding UFT history, um, UFT elections, and our hopes and dreams for a um, collaborative um, co um, co coalition um, against Uni Caucus in 2022. So looking forward to presenting it to you right now and we hope you all enjoy, thank you. In our hands is placed a power greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of atoms magnified a thousandfold. We can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old, for the union makes us strong. Now, all right, everybody. So I would like to introduce our guest, James Eterno. Um, James Eterno is a retired social studies teacher and chapter leader formerly from Jamaica High School. He is also the author and founder of the ICFT blog and is a founding member of the ICFT caucus. So without further ado, let us welcome James. Hi, Lydia. Just one correction on that. I was not the founder of the ICE blog. That was Jeff Kaufman. Uh, he he basically created it, and then uh, we shared it for a few years, and then he basically uh, gave it to me. Oh, fabulous. And now, and now I'm running the, uh, the ICE blog almost entirely alone, although I still go to Jeff for, uh, for help occasionally. And uh, my wife also uh, is helping. And Norm Scott a little bit. My wife is Camille Turno, And Norm Scott, who you probably know of as Ed Notes, is also helpful uh, in terms of when we get comments that are just over the top and we need to moderate them. I get a little help sometimes with that. Excellent. So my first question is, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, we we know each other for a few years now uh, as dissidents within the uh, within the UFT, and I have a long history there. Um, I started teaching in oh god, like 1986, so mm. it's a long time ago. And my first few years, I was a relatively happy uh, young teacher. I didn't really get involved until uh, 1995, and that was after I was tenured for a while. And the UFT, which was done, was run by Sandra Feldman back in those days. Uh, Randy Weingarten was was her lawyer, and then came into your school where they got her uh, little teaching experience, and then she mm. became. Uh, of some kind of vice president and then the uh well maybe secretary or something and then she was the heir apparent and everybody knew that but when i got involved sandra feldman was the president and she came in after negotiating with rudy giuliani with the infamous double zero contract and this was in the the, the 90s right around the time the dot-com boom was about to hit and people to say the least freaked out within the uh, New York City teaching force because they said, are you kidding me? 
They're telling us that the economy is terrible and we're going to have to go with two years with no raises. Mm. It was a very, very difficult sell. And that contract was actually voted down by a majority of the UFT members. But uh, I got involved there with a guy named Michael Schulman, who you might know as uh, one of the leading people within New Action, which was a dissident caucus within the uh, United Federation of Teachers also. He introduced me to union politics, which I knew very little about before that. And after that, um, well, I was, a, I was a delegate. I won't say I didn't know anything, but be, being a delegate was like, you know, the school had, uh, I think three, we were a very big school back then, three teacher delegates. And it was sometimes a matter of finding three people that would agree to go to the, uh, to the meetings. But I really didn't know much about union politics. And then I learned and learn very quickly how the UFT is really a machine. It is the last of the great machines run by Unity Caucus, uh, great political machines we're talking about. And it functioned very well as a well-oiled machine then. It still functions in almost an identical way, uh, what is this, 26 years later? And that kind of is very, very scary. But I got involved that way. And then after that became chapter leader, then ran for the executive board and what was elected. And I, I hold the distinction, if I'm going to brag about anything, it's I'm the only person to have served a decade on the UFT executive board without ever having a unity caucus endorsement, and that's the majority caucus, to get elected independently for 10 years is something I'm, I'm quite proud of. But I served as chapter leader for 18 years at Jamaica High School, and how that school closes a whole different great, not great story, but great sad story. Uh, and also was a delegate uh, for three years at Jamaica before I was chapter leader or actually two years, and then three years at Middle College where I was elected as an ATR basically. Uh, and that was that was amazing also, a little run there. But that's a little bit about me. That's actually excellent. You actually covered a lot of the questions I was gonna ask, but I am gonna ask you a question that, you know, has made me think. Over the years that, you know, since you started teaching in, in, the, in, the, in the mid 1980s until your retirement, and now as a retired activist, like how have you seen democracy in the UFT erode over time? Because people constantly tell me that the good old days basically died with Randy. I don't think there were ever any really good old days. Do, do you, Norm Scott often talks about the prime directive, the unity prime directive, which is to do whatever it takes to keep the machine going and it was it was always that way so there was, it was always we on the outside always the the outsider so it was never perfect it's just gotten worse over the years and i'll give you an example when the union started remember the the uft is is kind of a merger between the high school teachers and and the guild which was made up 
well, varied people from from high school, elementary, and middle schools, and a lot of middle schools people in in the guild, and a breakaway portion of the high school teachers association, which formed the U of T, and there was always a tension there between um, secondary school teachers and elementary school teachers. In the early years, that was a really healthy tension. I could say those are the the golden years of the U of T between 1960 and 63 64 when they went on two two strikes that were incredibly successful when shanker when albert shanker came in i said that is where he started to consolidate power and if you're going to read a book on this i recommend highly and john lawhead one of your people and an ice people one of the solidarity people and ice people uh he had a reading group and he he concentrated on David Selden's The Teacher Rebellion, which is a fantastic book. And it talks about all those early years and there's one chapter on the Unity Caucus and how Shanker consolidated power, basically made any kind of union position contingent upon you totally towing the party line and they came up with uh, what is referred to as the unity loyalty oath, where in order to get invited to join unity, and, and you could find the, the loyalty oath on the Port Jefferson Station Teachers Association website. And basically you have to sign a paper that says that you will support the decisions of the caucus in union and public forums. So if you wanna be in unity, you would better tell the party line. In exchange for towing the party line, there's low level unity things where you can get a part-time position or even less than that, a, a part-time position with the union, not with the, the schools. You can also get free trips to convention, AFT, um, nice at convention with expenses paid. Those are the little perks and they get a lot of people in. And then basically your, your job is to vote yes to whatever the leadership proposes. So it's never been a democratic organization. When they try to defend that, they'll say, well, that's called democratic centralism. We make the decision and then we all go with it. Uh, but the decisions in democratic centralism ideally are supposed to come from <laughs> below. They're supposed to be democratic. The UFT runs more like we've decided up on high and now you will abide by that. So it's been since Shanker's day and there never was a golden age. But within that structure, there were still ways to break through. And the big breakthrough was in 19... 85, 86, somewhere around there, just when I was starting, so I had no idea what was going on at the time. But Michael Schulman from what was then called New Action Coalition, the opposition groups combined mm -hmm. uh, to, to run together, he had the audacity, the nerve to win a vice presidency. So mm. the academic high school vice president was non-unity. So mm. what did they do? They challenged their own election and made them run it again. Get and the Schumann heck out of my, there. Schumann won my more votes the next time. Uh, when, when unity was safely back in power, when they finally won the, the, the high schools again, 
they started making plans. Is, we, can, we can't let this happen again. And in 1991, they lost, they lost the high schools. They also lost the middle schools. So they had to deal with 13 dissidents on the 100-person executive board, which really isn't much, but it was way too much for them to deal with. And so after that, and, and I don't remember what happened in 1993, but that election did not go well for the opposition before I was involved. And unity won. And when they were safely back in power and controlled everything again, uh, they proposed the constitutional amendments so that even the vice presidents for um, technical high schools and academic high schools are now elected at large. So that at large voting system is what makes it impossible to, or next to impossible to break through because how are you, let's say you're running Lydia for uh, vice president of the academic high schools in 2022. How are you going to campaign in Boca Raton with the yeah. thousands of retirees down there? You can't. It, it, there's almost 200,000 members spread out throughout the country and beyond because uh, the retirees make up 70,000. There's absolutely no way you could campaign to all of them. So I guess the golden age of UFT democracy before Randy wasn't really that golden, but compared to now, I guess it, it was. And also from one more point, there were the district reps and mm -hmm. the system was decentralized back in the, in the late 1960s. The UFT tried to reflect that. So they created the position of district rep and the district representatives were elected by the chapter leaders within the district in a weighted vote. Correct. They were all unity until 1990 when, again, a guy named Bruce Markins won the Manhattan High School uh, district rep position. That, that was bad for them. And when, when I got involved, I got to know, know Bruce, a great, great guy. But when he decided to retire in 2000, the Manhattan High School chapter leaders had the audacity to elect another independent, a guy named Tom Drumgoole, who was not Unity. And Randy said, we can't, Randy Weingarten said, and this is, she had taken over for Feldman, who'd gone down to Washington. And at that point, they started to say, no, no more. Let's have a C30 process. And the C30 process is how we uh, get principals and assistant principals in the system. And you all know, if you ever served on one, that the person that the superintendent wants for principal or the principal wants for assistant principal is going to get the job. And they just go through the process, go through the motions kind of for, for the process. Well, it's the same thing for district uh, reps now. And the last election was, I think, in 2002. And since then, all of the representatives are appointed by Randy. And I guess this is a, a PS on that point. There was somebody in Unity who so rejected, I just want to mention his name, this guy who was Sal Capella, who is someone within Unity who thought that this was disgraceful. And, and he, he was right because it was some way at least to make there be some accountability down 
below to the to the chapter leaders, if not the members. It was there's some accountability from the schools with the district reps being elected. And he got up at a delegate assembly and just told Randy, uh, I'm gonna make a motion that we uh, turn around what the, uh, what the executive board did to make the uh, um, district reps up an appointed position. He was thrown out of unity so fast it lived your, uh, leave your head spinning uh, for daring to, to, to make that, uh, that motion. So basically the only democracy that's left that's, that's really fair at the UFT is uh, the chapter leader and delegate positions. So it wasn't Michael Mogu that made that switch. That's no, the it was Randy. I was under. Yeah, that was Randy that made the switch on district reps, and it was, uh, I guess, Sandy that made the uh, the switch on uh, on vice presidents being elected uh, at large. But if if they see, if the the unity people that run the union see that there is an issue that they're having trouble somewhere they they in terms of getting elected they will do whatever it takes to make sure they maintain power because that is again quoting norm scott the prime directive so another question i have is that since unity is so adverse to any kind of dissonant thinking why do they allow a, why do they allow other caucuses to run in the elections? I mean, is it, is, is it just to present to the members that, uh, that you know, the, the, like, like a sham, like, oh yeah, we, al we allow democratic thinking because we allow other caucuses to run. Why do, you, why do you think unity, if they're so adverse to different opinions, why do they allow people from other caucuses to run against them? I think it's the law that if, you want to be a union in the United States, there's something called the Landrum-Griffin Law, which mandates that there be elections for the positions that, that run the union. If they could get away without running elections, they might do that. I, I could see them appointing uh, Michael Mulgrew as, uh, as leader for life or something like that. Uh, but I, I think that they have to because it's the law. So what they do is try to show, put on a show, well, we're, we're as fair as can be. But it's, I don't, I, using the word fixed is, I guess, a little bit much, but it's tilted. It, it's, it's, it's not a level playing field. Because if you think about it, they run that union newspaper, they run the Facebook page, a Twitter account, you name it, they have it. And they control the information that gets to the members. I don't think most members are aware of what goes on. I don't think it's their fault either. Most people who are teachers and, and other UFTers are too busy to engage in daily UFT politics. People like us, uh, who who are involved and and get passionate about this stuff are a distinct minority within the union so they have to run the elections but what they'll do is basically tilt them so when there's an election committee on how this election process is going to be run they put one person from uh, the, the dissident caucuses on there. And basically their 
in control of it. And they've gotten worse over the years. I think I mentioned this in one of uh, the, the forums that we were um, involved in, another forum, but th they so control the, 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 the process that any, any inkling of dissent, they're gonna shut it down. And let me just explain how, how crazy this is. Think about, well, let's, let's go back, first of all. Everything is at large, except for a few seats on the executive board. That means the people that they get to, much more than we'll ever have a chance to, those retirees, vote for almost everything. Mm -hmm. So as long as they can keep things at large, and I'm surprised they haven't yet had a constitutional amendment to make everything at large, but I think they want to make it look good. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that's why they still leave some executive board seats open. Also, the New York teacher. Now, they make a big thing about how, well, we give you an ad that we pay for in the New York teacher before the election, as if... One stinking ad where you get uh, two, two pages there buried on like page 47 or 50 or something like that is the equivalent of them controlling all of the other levers of communication within the union for the last God knows how many years. Uh, that that makes up for it and that makes them democratic, which is nonsense, but it is good window dressing and it will pass with the uh, Department of Labor and probably with PERB too, because they constantly say, well, we don't want to get involved in, uh, in interunion or intra, this is not inter, intra-union matters. So their default position is to leave it to the unions. And I'm starting to say before, they are getting worse in this because uh, I started going to UFT election counts in 1997. That was the first time I ran for uh, executive board. We had the results. And, and this is, I think, before they, they were even putting them through uh, um, scanners. Well, they may have put them through scanners, but it, it, was, it was not a high-tech operation. It really wasn't. I remember they used to have a bunch of people in a hotel um, room in, in like the basement, one of the big hotels in Manhattan. And, and, and they would Still open the up, case. Uh, they would open up the ballots and, and they would run them through. As they were going through the machines, we could see them. And as soon as the guy had the results, he said, unity, blah, 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 new action, blah, 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 blah. The third group then I think was uh, progressive action, whatever they had, we all had the results. Since 2016, they've been hiding those results when they come through. And the American Arbitration Association who's run these things forever, they send people to unity to see what uh, would send us to, to, to the union people, the unity people to see what happens. So they even get the results faster and they don't want them uh, out there until they've good and, good and well analyzed them. So I think I'm going beyond what you're originally asking, but anything they can do to make things uh, less democratic, it seems they will. But where it is still democratic is at the school level, 
And I think that a lot of the groups that have tried to run against unity um, often miss this opportunity to make their stand at the school level and get as many chapter leaders and delegates who are independent or part of dissident caucuses elected as possible. I think that's always, I haven't analyzed the 2021 results yet. I know we've, we've, we've won a few, we've lost a, a couple in, in the opposition, but I think if, if you can find a bunch of independent people get them elected there at the school level, then you'll have a real heads up next year in the, uh, in the, the, the citywide election. And just, just to go on that for your listeners, positions come over, I guess what they call by-elections. Positions mm-hmm. do become open because people retire, people don't wanna go and they res- resign. Uh, people get sick of being chapter leader because it's a very difficult uh, job, one that I love, but it's still very difficult. So just because uh, um, you didn't win in 2021, don't be discouraged and go for those school offices because they can be a major platform um in the system-wide elections that are coming next year because once you are the chapter leader and the delegates to some extent you start to control the narrative of the union for your school when i was elected chapter leader one of the things that really surprised me is people who were a lot older than me a lot more experienced because i was the chapter leader suddenly they thought i was um, hit by God with all this knowledge and they, they would come to me. I remember the, the, the person who called the substitutes and was like one of the people I lo- look, looked up to because I saw him every, every morning. And as soon as I became chapter leader, he started asking me a million questions. And I was just saying, well, I said, you know this more than me. And he would say, just testing you, you know, like that kind of. But uh, anyway, the, the, cha- the, the point I was trying to make was if you get the chapters, you'll start to get the uh, much more of the, uh, the union. How many unity chapter leaders are there? It just, you know, unity makes it seem like there's like hundreds of thousands of them. Is that but, a number we, we know? I mean, like, I mean, Johnny and I are just curious, like, you know, do, can we like find these numbers out? I mean, like, you know, like, like who's actually signed the unity oath and who's actually, you know, who signed the unity oath and, who, and who's like, and who's like, yes, like who's a secret more or a solidarity member? Because we definitely have un- unity members who signed the oath and they said, yo, I can't freaking stand unity. So I, I'm joining this, 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 this is in caucus. I mean, can we trust the numbers, honestly? Well, you can't do a FOIL request because the U, the UFT is is not a government, not a government organization. organization. It's a private organization. But what we can do and take a little bit of time is to look over the list of who ran in 2019 for those 800 convention delegate or Correct. 799, whatever it is, slots. Mm-hmm. And you can see right there if they ran mm-hmm. on uh, on the unity slate, you'll know. Yeah. that they're that they're unity i think that's that's a good way now obviously they don't run all of their chapter leaders because some of them don't want to go to convention the, my understanding of it is in the past 
they used to have a little bit more trouble getting people, a little more difficulty getting people to run. And now it's it's actually easier for them. So there might be more unity chapter leaders than ever. Because once you get elected, they will wine and dine you to get you to join unity. And I mean that literally. Yes. Because they have trainings in the yes. summer. Yes, and do. then the overnight weekend trainings. Oh, in the, those are fun. <laughs> in the fall and then winter. Those, yes, they are to give you information. But another key part of that is to get you to join the, the Unity Caucus and invite the, right. the people in. Because once they got you, then you shut up. You want any goodies from the union, you will shut up. I recommend to everybody... Go look up the LM2. That's a document because the union has some private private sector employees. The UFT has to file an LM2 every year with the federal government. You could see it. We have a link to it uh, at the ICE UFT blog. You probably have a link to it so somewhere in the solid solidarity stuff. Go look at it. It will tell you what everybody makes from the union from Mulgrew and his I don't know what it's over $360,000 to the borough reps who are making like two and a quarter down to the district reps we have to add their DOE salary because they teach one period a day so they're still listed as DOE employees even though they're working full-time for the union so you add their union salary to their the, the their union, wait, 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 I said that wrong. Add their DOE salary to their union salary, you could see they're making a pretty good living too. So people are making, let's say around 200,000 and up to well over 300,000. Also get a double pension because they get a union pension as well as a DOE pension. pension. Their loyalty, we're going to talk about that loyalty again their loyalty is up to Mulgrew and Leroy Barr not down to the members in the the school and so that's who they're going to look after it just that's just the way things are you're very very not likely to put at risk a a good paycheck like that and a good job like that because you want to stand on some principle of union democracy or something like that. James, do the district reps actually do that one period a day? Because I don't, I don't understand how they can show up at 52 Broadway and other schools when they're showing up to their school in the morning and getting prepared to teach a class. From my understanding of it is they do. I know of one district rep who didn't, who I will not name, uh, just had a sort of phantom class. But basically, yeah, they, they, they show up. Uh, I'll give you an example. The district rep for Queens High Schools, uh, James Vasquez, uh, is a teacher. He came from uh, um, Newcomers High School. And I was doing work right, right now, uh, re retired from the DOE, but I work at Hunter College supervising student teachers and I was there one morning at Academy of American Studies which shares the building 
with uh, Newcomers High School. And James was there bright and early in the morning and he was there for his, uh, his class. So they do uh, teach that one class and then they scoot out and the rest of the day they do uh, union work, go around to, to other schools. Now I'm sure if they need a coverage uh, they don't have a problem getting it and maybe are some of them co-teachers or something for that one class that's all possible and depends on the kind of relationship the school has with the uh with with the union that, so that, that sounds like a conflict of interest that sounds like a very big conflict of interest how so they, it just sounds like you know the principal's having a problem with the with the teacher. Wants the railroad a teacher. Wants the district rep to be on their side. Hey, don't show up to your job. Don't worry, I'll cover you. Yeah, you make a very good point. And a lot of chapter leaders who get a lot less off than the district reps do to do union work will make the, the similar kind of deals. Uh, let, let, let me ask you, I know you guys are asking the questions, but let me ask you, would you like for the UFT to, to bargain that away or to make the district reps full union employees, like the special reps where they're still, they're on leave from the DOE completely and do union work for the, the full time, not, not just four fifths of the day. Well, personally, I'd like to see it go back to an elected position where the chapter leaders pick the district rep. Exactly. So the district rep would be beholden to the chapter leader, mm -hmm. giving the school more, giving, giving the chapter leader more power because they have somebody they can call because if the district rep doesn't show up to support the chapter leader, you don't have my vote. So I would like I... to see the couldn't agree more. Now, just uh, to show you there's controversy here, even with the opposition, if you ask Norm Scott, uh, he would say, uh-uh, it should be the members in the district, not just the chapter leaders who vote for the uh, district rep. I think Bruce Markins would also agree with him, but Jonathan Hallaby, uh, very important in new action, he agrees with me that the, the system that they had previously where the chapter leaders had a weighted vote for who the district rep would be provides the, the best accountability. Um, because again, it, the people who are involved in these kind of things tend to be more involved with the union and care more about the day-to-day happenings as opposed to the regular teacher in the school who basically gets swamped with uh, with so much stuff coming at them that who the district rep is is not really that big a concern. I was in on two elections for district rep in Queens High School as a chapter leader. I want to tell you there was I never saw more excitement about uh, elections than at those times. They were highly contested. The debates were, were real and, and they were of great fun. And uh, it, it, it works out, but if the union doesn't get the person they want, then they have ways of, uh, going back to those days, they had ways of making things difficult for the person who got in 
without the uh, um, the proper endorsement from on high. So it wasn't a perfect system, but was it better than what we have now? It was much better than what we have now. So what are some things that we can do? I mean, like, I mean, like with the exception of running for UFT positions in your school, what exactly can we do? Because, you know, like, you know, we painted a very gloomy outlook for our, for our listeners about how union politics looks. I mean, like it's, it's ugly. It is absolutely disgustingly ugly, but like, what can we, what, like, what are some takeaways that we, that we can give to our memberships that, you know, things, things may look terrible, but they are tiny little glimmers of things that we can do that things we do have power to do. Well, I, I would that there's just a little thunder going off, by the way, I would argue that it's it's things are never as uh, as bleak as they look. I've stayed involved, hoping that maybe it's hoping beyond hope that the opposition gets their act together and runs one unified slate against uh, unity, because I see that as the best chance to topple them. We're also only a decade or a little bit more into the social media era. So I'm not going to say elections are hopeless because I, I don't think they are. I think on the uh, the whole level, the macro level, it's very, very difficult. But let's break it down just a little bit. We, we've, as, not, as oppositions, we're 50-50 or a little bit more opposition in the high schools. Okay, that's a start. Then you take the middle schools where you say maybe 40% um, opposition. Elementary schools, there's so many elementary school teachers, but most of them don't vote. Exactly. And most, of the, most of the middle school and high school teachers don't vote either, but you're talking about not having to get through to 170,000 or 180,000, whatever it is now, UFT members to make a difference, it could be much, much fewer than that. And we could, as an opposition, I still think this is very possible, take over the teachers. At that point, if we just won high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, at that point, we control what is, according to the New York State Public Employees Relations Board and our contract, the bargaining unit. If we won the bargaining unit, I would tell Michael Mulgrew and Unity, you take your, what would it be, 7, 12, 22, something like 22 executive board seats out of 100 seat executive boards, you take them and stick them somewhere. We now control the majority of the, the the teachers who voted, we should negotiate the contract. And when Leroy Barr or Michael Mulger or whoever says, you're insane, we still got 62% of the total vote, that's when I would go to PERB and say, we demand another election for who is to be the representative of the teachers. And if we won the majority, we could get that vote because it would be a small a minority of the teachers who voted unity, remember within the people who don't vote and then the unity vote, 
who would be telling us, uh, the majority of the people who voted, what our contract is going to be like, I think we'd have a very good argument for another election for who would be the teacher's bargaining representative. You know, and the last time that election was held was in, I think, is 1962, or maybe it was 61, but it's about 60 years ago. So there is nothing in law and nothing uh, from Mosaic law and not, nothing from any document that says that the UFT has to be the bargaining agent or the UFT as it's currently constructed has to be the bargaining agent for New York City teachers for eternity. That's just not the way it is. The way that, but in order for us to get there, we have to mobilize and convince enough of the teachers. I'm not talking about uh, other people in the bargaining unit, or excuse me, they're separate bargaining units, but other people within the UFT. Um, that that's a different issue. There is a group that that is the separate bargaining unit, the school psychologists not school psychologists, the, the physical therapists um, who've, who've voted out uh, their entire unity people and what they go or the way they go next year could set some uh, very important precedents. Occupational wow. therapists, physical therapists, I think that's mm -hmm. the chapter. Yes. And they voted to get rid of unity in the chapter elections this year. Let's see where that goes because that it could. Very interesting. Yeah. So, so again, back to the original question. That's my son Matthew who just uh, came by. But anyway, the it's a very, very, very. You you want to get in the picture? Hi. Oh, yeah, too. Oh, and here comes my daughter. Hi. What's Hi. Matt, go. <laughs> okay. Can I get back to the questions? Yeah, go back. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Uh, I think that there is more that we can do to start to educate people. Again, what you talked about before, using this medium, the the, the podcast, is a great idea. What Daniel, how do you say his last name? Alicia? Alicia. Yeah, what Daniel Alicia is doing with having monthly uh, meetings bring people in to talk and then putting it out there and getting hundreds of people uh, listening on on Zoom and Facebook and watching too. Th these things are great. So is it going to happen overnight? No. But can we get to the point where a majority of the voting teachers say enough of this? We, we don't want a top-down union anymore. We want a union that's more responsive to us and not mm -hmm. to itself. Yeah, I think we can get there. I've been hopeful that we get there for um, too, too long, what about 27 years. Mm -hmm. uh, but Norm Scott has been doing it for twice as long as me, so for almost 50 years. And he still uh, holds out some hope. So yeah, did anybody think in 1990 or 89, the, or let's say 88, 87, that the Soviet Union was going to come crashing down like that. Uh, probably some people did, but most mm -hmm. people thought that's that's crazy. It's it's too strong, and and it it 
came down. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it, 1989, Berlin Wall came down and the yes. Soviet Union was gone within two, two years of that. Mm -hmm. So is there something that's going to happen that's going to bring down unity? I hope while I'm still around and can still see it that, it, that it happens. I know it will happen eventually because this structure that is just based on loyalty to the top. It's not sustainable. Cannot, yeah, it, it's it's unsustainable. They, they've done what they've had to, to keep it going. But at some point, the teachers are going to say enough. I personally thought that the breaking point might have been March 2020 yes. when they put out and the Daily News got a hold of that uh, memo from, I think it was one of their lawyers uh, to all of their people, basically the district reps, telling people, and this was at the height of when this uh, pandemic was, was really getting bad, that the WHO had announced that it's a pandemic a week before yes. the mayor Bill de Blasio was saying oh no we have to keep the schools open mm -hmm. and teachers were calling in sick by the yes. thousands yes. and the UFT was putting out put out that memo saying oh no you you can't do that because uh, you you can lose two days pay for every day you, you it's going to be perceived as a strike Nonsense. Like anybody cares about two, two, two lousy days of pay as opposed mm -hmm. to not getting sick. And we knew so little about the, the mm -hmm. coronavirus back then. And then the worst part of that memo was that they put out um, a, a second part. They're saying worse, the union will lose their exclusive dues checkoff. Yeah, I remember that. So I remember that. that. Mm. If, if I was running in 2022... If it's involved with anything, I would think that we should, whoever is running, remind people of, of that early and often that they put their dues ahead. For our lives. Of, and I'll say our lives because I was working in, in the school at, at the time too with the, with the student teachers. I work for Hunter. So yeah, and my wife, and uh, who's an English teacher, and my two kids who are students, uh they they put their dues ahead of everything and that yeah. that's money un, over unfor everything unforgivable mm -hmm. and that that continued and they they've never denied that because it's no. there in uh in, in black and white mm -hmm. so um i'm hopeful that more and more people we'll find out as time goes by and we'll say this is unacceptable and we need a change. We need yes. people with basic integrity yes. to, to run our union who are accountable to the grassroots, the, the, the teachers and the paras, counselors, et cetera. Cause I don't wanna say it's just, uh, just teachers but I'm hopeful that the change can come first within the teachers after the occupational and physical therapists thank you james this was enlightening this is thank you yes, thank you thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, <laughs> well thanks for having me and uh i think the the 20 if i could say one more one more thing sure the 2022 election is going to be the general election is going to be very very fascinating 
to to look at. I don't know if I'm going to be involved, if anybody's going to ask me to be involved, but either to look at it from the outside or from the inside, I see a great deal of opportunity. And just if, if I can say, the more people, whether they're chapter leaders, delegates, rank and file members, or anyone who you can get to spread the word, either by Facebook, Twitter, email, stuffing mailboxes, handing stuff out to people, uh, that, that just to get the word out and educate people that we have to be looking out for ourselves together as a union, the better things will be. And the bigger the challenge that unity gets, the better things will be for those people in, in the classroom. Exactly. Well said. Thank you, James. And thank you very much for having me. Okay, no problem. We'll do it again. Yes, we shall do it again someday. Thank you so very much. Okay. Did you, did you stop? Did you, you stop recording? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I stopped recording. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just uh, have a great summer too. Thank and you very much. So that was enlightening, wasn't it? If you want to, you can leave the meeting. Yes. Great. So we hope you took a lot away from this great episode. Um, once again, we would like to thank Johnny, Eric, and James for contributing a tremendous dialogue and great discussion as to what is possible. So we encourage you all to please subscribe. Please share this episode with your colleagues. And of course, we look forward to hearing more from you on the next episode of After Class. Thank you. Solidarity forever.